left, right. So what's up? Just want to thank you for joining us. Today we're talking about logical fallacies, which is effectively false logic. Um, you'll see this a lot in the political environment, and you'll see it a lot in kind of commonality. So learn it, listen to it, uh, listen to it, learn it, and pay attention to it in the future, and you'll be able to spot basically arguments that just don't hold up. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Cheers. 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 But I've got a list of like hold on. All right, well we're going live, so I'm gonna trust your list. Let's just right. make sure we're good. Um done redirecting and it looks like we are live. All right, welcome to episode 67 of Sip Talk. Today, we're gonna to be talking about logical fallacies. Uh, my name is Justin DiGiulio. I own and manage a real estate brokerage in Manhattan. Uh, coming at you from the suburbs of New Jersey, we have James the Bosnair Boswell in Charleston, South Carolina. James, professional referee, professional accountant, philosopher, and professional bartender. Uh, this is Sip Talk, episode 87. James, what are you drinking down there? A little bit of whiskey and um, the last of my sour cranberry lime um, sours from Edmund's Oast, which local brewery in Charleston and their sour beers are really good. Nice. I got a nice Corona, so I'm going to go with that. Uh, today we're talking about logical fallacies. So if you don't know what a logical fallacy is, it is basically just false logic. And I think with a lot of what's going on in politics and a lot of coverage of politics are getting, a lot of the politicians just in how they speak in general, um, I think kind of false logic is something to be able to identify. And this kind of goes in the vein of critical thinking that James and I preach so much and, you know, in my opinion, critical thinking is kind of a backbone to how I think about life and how I deal with business. So uh, what do you want to get started with, James? Should we go straight? Well, and this one's straight out of my wheelhouse because it's a topic that is big in philosophy. Um, and when, when you watch political debates or political speeches, but especially debates, once you're aware of these, you start catching them all the time. And I would say that a lot of, I'd say in debates, probably more than 50% of the time when, when someone's talking, they're, they're committing one or more of these errors. Yeah, oftentimes a logical fallacy is just someone presenting something as logic. And it just simply does. So James, could you just kind of give us a textbook definition of, of what logic is? Logic was one of my favorite, uh, I don't think I had a logic class, but it was one of my, is it math? It, well, there, there's basically two components to logic. There's a mathematical approach to it, where it, it really uses equations, and it looks like math, and it functions like math, where when this happens, and then you have this symbol, it leads to this. And so what you'll do is you'll take down a set of sentences or whatever, 
turn them into symbols to represent what that sentence represents. And then you can manipulate those to be able to draw a conclusion out of it. And yeah. so there's math, I would call that mathematical logic, which- sure. but, but if, I, you, if you have that as a core, you should understand all logic. Well, yeah, but so that's what's called formal logic. The actual term is formal logic, and it looks a lot like math. And that would be something like um, like modus ponens, which is if P, then Q, P, therefore Q, which basically says if this happens, then this happens. Mm -hmm. This just happened, therefore that will happen. And it gets way more complicated than that. Where you've got like the the contrapositive and and like anybody who took like a middle school I guess a high school level math class probably touched on this a little bit. Um, not even senior, junior level. This is yeah, really it's not super complicated, but um, at the higher levels it can get insane. Um, you're adding to it, and the, the it gets more layered. Yeah, it's like looking at algebra of x plus two equals seven. Then all right, minus two on each side, so we got x equals five. And then you build on that and you end up with calculus and you're finding like the area under the curve and all sorts of other stuff. And it logic works the same way. So that's formal logic, which I studied a little bit, but that wasn't really where I put my energy in. The other um, kind of discipline is informal logic. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And that's going to be looking at how is language used to try and construct an argument and are the arguments that are being made sound? And if not, why? And very often it's because of one of these informal fallacies. Yeah. Um, so I have uh, a poster that I've known for years. And it looks like the date on it I have was 2012. Um, and by Jesse Richardson. So that's something I reference a lot. I kind of keep it on a save file on my computer so I can just kind of pull it up and, and just explain to people that like you are actually breaking effectively a formal law. I think a lot of people know this, this poster I'm talking about. <clears throat> uh, I do want to reference one of the comments we just got from Alex Johnson. Thou shalt not commit logical fallacies. Poster hangs in my office. That's that's a lot of where we're getting a lot of this from. Yep. So I appreciate you referencing that. It is popular. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's why I think it's a good reference point to start with. <laughs> so you had some that you had made notes of before you studied some of this. How did you come across this in school? I was a philosophy major. Um, I took a class called so, logic. It, the intro, I don't, you know, I'm not, it may sound like I'm blowing smoke up your ass in this intro, but I truly, you know, professional bartender, professional accountant, professional referee, and philosopher. So you, did you major your, your mind? Yeah, I majored in philosophy. That was what I studied. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Um, Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, so this, like, this is one of the required classes for, for the philosophy major. And it was probably my favorite class because it was the one, it was one of the few classes that had like a direct impact on my ability to do other things. Um, so, to, I mean, to jump right into it, um, we'll probably be talking a lot in both the political realm and the advertising realm here. And the, the number one fallacy that I'm going to start off with is probably going to be the straw man fallacy. And it's kind of related to another one that I'll get to called red herring. But the straw man fallacy is where you're going to find a way of intentionally misrepresenting your opponent's case so that it's easier to argue against them. So let's go, uh, I'm gonna go with something easy. 
Um, I'm arguing in favor of reducing the amount that we spend on our military. Okay. So, so it sense, I mean, I'm guessing I'm pulling, you're pulling a reference here from, from the poster. No, I, I actually just came up with that off the top of my head. I can come up with a different example if you want. No, no stick with it. Stick with it. Because, we're, you know, again, in the, in the political realm. So, so if I, all right, let's say you're arguing for reducing spending on the military because I need to be the one committing the fallacy. So you're saying we should spend less money on the military. And I'm going to say, oh, so we should leave our nation completely defenseless against any threats? Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Because your uh, I, argument is we should reduce. I'm, I'm taking your argument to be you should be eliminating all military spending. And uh, so that's a lot easier to argue against because no one's going to say we shouldn't have any military. Well, yeah, that pretty much like, nobody, I, but. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the example they give on this poster, if I was arguing we should put more money into health and education, you would, you would argue that I'm pulling money away from defense. Yeah. That's, I actually don't think that that's a good example of a straw man because that's not misrepresenting your argument. That's actually distracting from it, which is more of a red herring. So a red herring is going to be similar to a straw man, but it's one where you're not necessarily misrepresenting what the other person is saying, but you're kind of coming up with a substitute argument for them that actually has nothing to do with what they're talking about. So we were talking about the military, or we were talking about education, and then I bring in military out of nowhere. That's and you right. see that a lot in, um, in political debates where a candidate might be pressed on their record on something. And so they don't want to answer to that for, well, generally obvious reasons. So what they'll do is they'll touch on the subject, say one thing, and then immediately move on to another topic that at best is tangentially related. Yeah, and that's that's what I. There's a lot of reporters that it just drives me nuts when that's almost kind of oozing from the politicians' mouths now, where they're not where they've touched on the question and then com completely diverted all the words that are coming out of their mouth are not related to the question at all. Yeah, I always get so I, I listen to the BBC in the morning. Uh, there's like World Hour or something like that uh, on WNYC, and I notice that the British reporters tend to press a lot harder um, and, and they'll say things like you haven't answered my question or but this is what I asked you you didn't answer this question uh, and I don't see that a lot in the American media so it's been yeah it's been less and less over the last five or ten years too yeah so 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 you got straw man and you got red herring they're um, really similar but the, the key difference is that straw man is staying kind of within the area that the other person was talking about and you're trying to sh warp and shape their arguments so that it's easier to argue against. Mm -hmm. Whereas a red herring is saying, well, we were playing baseball. Now I'm going to go play basketball. Like baseball, like it, it would be like if we're playing baseball and then I just like put an extra two or three people on the field without telling you. And now it's easier for me to win against you because I got more players. And then red herring would be, all right. Uh, you showed up wearing metal cleats and gloves and a baseball bat, and here I am wearing basketball shoes and shorts. So, like, we're playing basketball now. You weren't even prepared for this because it's not what you signed up for. Um, right. so you got right here, and you got the uh, strong in. What do you want to hit next? Huh? What do you want to hit next? Uh, ad hominem okay. is another really common one. That's really, where, especially in debate too late. 
Yeah, also in debates. Um, and that's going to be attacking the person who is giving the message and not the message itself. And it's, it's super easy to do because anybody's going to have a checkered history. If you don't have a checkered history, I'd, uh, I'd like to meet you. But um, <laughs> all right. And so you can say, well, we shouldn't. Re- why are we even listening to this person? They did whatever in the past and they, they're not a reliable source. And it, it's easy to do to practically anybody. But the, idea, the, the whole idea behind it is it doesn't matter who's saying it. Is the argument by itself correct? Exactly. And you also see this really heavily in politics because you can, even somebody from a political party that you disagree with, if they say something that's right, your kind of gut reaction is to say, I don't want to accept it because like the opposing party is saying it. But you have to look at the message and say, is that actually a good idea regardless of who said it? Yeah, well, I mean, and yeah, with such division we have right now um, between the parties, you know, it's it's really easier. It's just it's easy to attack somebody's character and past history and just completely stonewall them and everything. But um, but Ed Hominen, definitely a good one. Uh, what else you have? Uh, another one. This is kind of the opposite of ad hominem, and that's ad populum, and that's going to be because something is popular, it must be right. The, the easiest example I can think of is four out of five dentists recommend whatever. Like, well, why? Like, why? So again, in the vein of critical thinking, four out of five dentists recommend, rather than say, well, it must be good, say, well, why do the dentists recommend it? And what specifically makes this a better option? Um, I, you know, I met a lot of dentists as I moved to a handful of different cities. Um, I don't. And I met a handful of doctors having moved to a bunch of different cities. I don't, a lot of times, I don't think they're the brightest people. And I think they just get caught in a rut of doing the same thing over and over again. That they're probably, you know, very uh, behind the curve when it comes to current knowledge. And they don't exercise a lot of in-depth thinking and problem solving. They just... Well, another thing to consider is, especially in, in medicine but probably also in dentistry you've got people whose sole job it is is to go to doctors and get them to recommend certain prescription drugs and so if i'm a doctor and i'm getting a 50 dollars kickback on every prescription i write for such and such a drug then i'm probably going to recommend that one more and so you can look at nine out of ten doctors prescribe this in these circumstances or whatever well well, why is that um yeah and it's what is it it's called ad popular Ad populum. It's super. It's super prevalent in advertising. That's probably the number one place that you'll see it. Um, less so in politics, but to some degree. Uh, I think. I think uh, you know. If you just if you just recognize that, and you recognize that a lot of people are doing it. It means absolutely. It should mean absolutely nothing to you. You need to exercise critical thinking and just ask yourself: Is this a valuable decision to make? Is this a valuable product to buy? Is this is this correct? Is it factual? Um, you know, just like everybody who stormed the Capitol, you know, a lot, it was a popular thing to do at the moment. But now people are on like you no know, fly lists, and they're recognized as domestic terrorists. Yeah. And that's, well, you know, all I did was everything everybody else. Was there doing. was a great video I saw of one dude who got kicked off of a plane, uh, and and he it was like kind of he was choking back tears or whatever. He's like, they wouldn't let me fly on the plane. <laughs> And, and, and then they called me a terrorist and 
I don't have the money to get home. I'm just like, dude, you signed up for this. Um, well, like, so can we just talk about this? Because I really tried the other day in the last episode to to kind of run the middle line and say, you know, look, and, and, and I still believe that when it comes to what's going on in the country, when it comes to Donald Trump and it comes to Joe Biden and it comes to Republicans and Democrats, what a lot of people miss is that you may be a Democrat and you may believe that you're right. But at this point in time, in my thinking, it doesn't matter if you're right and they're wrong. At this point in time, they're your neighbor. So rather than trying to convince them why you're right or them convince you why they're right or whatever it is, you have to recognize that you have a lot of differences and you have to figure out at this point, Joe Biden is going to be the president. And I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not a Donald Trump fan, but I don't believe that he belongs in jail. I think a lot of things he's done, probably jail worthy. But if I was Joe Biden and became president, I would say, look, you know, it's over. I don't, I don't think we need to, I don't think we need to make this any bigger of an issue than it already is. Let's save that question for a separate cast, because I think there's more there than, than I have the time to address right now. Sure, but, but, but at the, at the, this is what I wanted to say. What got me started. At the end of the day, if, you, if anyone in any other country storms the capital of that country and breaks in and beats up the guards, as cooperative or non-cooperative as the, as the guards may be, they're storming in, they're breaking, they're entering. That's that's terrorism and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Insurrection. Insurrection. And and while you may believe that it, you know, you're doing the right thing, at the end of the day, there's there's no way to put the spit on that that you know that that makes it right. Um, it's just that's that's just I I don't know where. The people who were doing that saw it going. They definitely got the point across, but I think they took more, you know, not just well, back. But. I think there's there's probably three groups of people, three general groups of people that you can look at as being involved in this. There's the first group that I think were kind of brainwashed into thinking that they were right. And once they actually, and, and then got caught up in the mob mentality mm-hmm. and then once they got inside the Capitol, they didn't really have an idea as to what to do. So, and, and those are the people that are probably, of all the people to blame, the least blameworthy. The second group of people are similar to the first, but once they got there, saw an opportunity to kind of just cause some havoc or whatever, but still didn't really have much of a plan. There's a third set of people here, and... These are the ones that I think are really scary. These are the people that were communicating by radio with each other, that were moving around the Capitol, looking for the people that they actually wanted to take. And you can't convince me that they didn't want to take people. There were people like there's pictures of guys with zip tie handcuffs. They had built a gallows outside the Capitol. So they were looking to capture members of Congress, specifically Pelosi, Schumer, and of all people, Pence. So... Um, so, so they were going to hang these guys publicly in front of that. that uh, it's impossible that. to be able to say how serious they were, but you have to take these people seriously. They were armed. They 
were wearing military level gear in terms of tactical vests with ballistic plates. They they were they had zip tie handcuffs. There were pipe bombs placed outside both the DNC and the RNC. And I think this subset, and I can't tell you how what percentage of the people this was made up of, but this organized subset of true domestic terrorists were using the the ruckus that was going on around them as cover to be able to move with deadly purpose. Yeah, and, and that's and that's bad shit, you know, and it's it's bad. And amazingly, I, I'm really impressed by the the internet's ability to find some of these people when when there was very little to go on, but they, they found uh, like the two pictures I've seen of people carrying the zip tie handcuffs, both of them have been arrested. And one of them, you couldn't even see his face. You might have been able to see like from here to here in terms like you could see his eyes and that was about it. And they were able yeah. to find him. So uh, I'm impressed. And I hope that this, this continues to go on and that people who, who committed these crimes face consequences for it. And the, the people that are responsible for the, the unnecessary deaths in the Capitol have to reckon for it. But it's, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not good. And oh, no. There's, there's no way, there's no way to pass it off as a, as a good thing. Let's but, get back. Let's get to, back. Yeah, to your question about whether or not Donald Trump, what, what level of consequences Donald Trump should face after he is no longer oh, in office. That, that's, I think that's something that we need to have a debate on separate from this topic because there's a lot to go on there. I'm not, I'm not you know, willing to really take it aside on that, but, uh, but I definitely think it's a, it's, it's a conversation. We could, we, could, we could get into it, and I, you know, I, I'd be happy. We'd probably hold similar sides on that. But, well, real uh, quick, since we got derailed, we got any comments or anything to address before we move on? Um, Let's 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 stick with this because we, we just got. I'll get back to the comments. I want to I want to do some shout outs to some of the guys that are online. Okay. Um, well, then I'll keep on plowing through these. Um, another one that's also super common in the political world is a slippery slope argument, which is A will lead to B, which will therefore at some point lead to Z, and Z is going to be some ridiculous circumstance that everyone agrees that we don't want to have happen, but. Basically, A leads to B, therefore A leads to Z. Well, no. Yeah, um, it's not, the, the correlation may not be there. The, 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 the best example I can come up with here was, and still relates to, gay marriage, where if we let two men or two women marry, then what's to stop someone from marrying two or three people or marrying their horse or a car or something? And you say, yeah. well, that's not what the argument's about. The argument is, is it fair that two men or two women can get married and we stop there. That's all we're asking for. And is it fair to those people and is it fair to society to allow that? And then people would misconstrue that to say, well, it leads to these other things. Therefore, we can't allow this to happen. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, that's, that's, that's exactly what it is. And slippery slope, I think you've got to call that one. Um, you got to call that one early on before you before you before you get too far down the slope um and, and the thing is slippery because slope can also be the reason i'm saying is because the further down the slope you get the more tantalizing it becomes and you just got to call it before you get to that more tantalizing part because that's the easy sell 
Well, and, and the thing is, like with, with slippery slope, it can be a valid argument technique if you stay reasonable. It's when you when you use it to misconstrue or exacerbate or exaggerate a point. So if you say, well, if we do this, it'll lead to that, like one step. And if you can say like, yeah, this is what happens when you do that. And they say, that's a bad idea. You're probably okay. But if you have to go three or four things down the line, say this leads to that, to that, to that, to that. And then you're arguing against all the way out here. That's where you're really committing the fallacy. So it's one of those ones where it's not a hard rule. Um, all right. I got like two or three more. Um, so uh, two quoque, and I, I couple that with also like what aboutism. So two quoque is basically you say that we should do this, but you don't always do it. Okay. So uh, give, me a, give me a good example. Well, you you say that I should never I should never cheat on my girlfriend, but you cheated on a girlfriend in the past. So why should I listen to what you're saying? This is hypothetical, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh okay and, and and so the argument isn't is should is it okay to cheat on a girlfriend the answer is no but you're saying well you cheated on your girlfriend in the past so why should i listen to your argument about not cheating on my girlfriend so so we define i think you used an example but what would we we need a better definition to so the definition is is kind of saying that the it's similar to ad hominem where the messenger is being attacked because they aren't because they haven't always acted in accordance with whatever argument they're trying to make mm -hmm. but that's not attacking their argument their argument is fine they just haven't always obeyed it themselves but you don't have to re you don't have to have obeyed the rule that you're coming up with for the rule to be good or bad yeah. critical thinking when you have a parent that says don't smoke, but that parent smokes. Yeah, uh, your your father ever told you not to smoke? Um, probably. I don't know. Yeah, my, your father still smokes. Right? I know my mom did. Like my mom quit smoking. But yeah, that's a great example. Actually, is like a parent that smokes telling their kid not to smoke. The parent's yeah, right. Yeah. It's just they're not the best messenger for it. But that doesn't mean that their argument is wrong. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I I like the smoking one. Um, all right. And, and so going that. along with the parent thing is like, what aboutism? So it, that's going to be, well, what about all the other people that get to do it? So if I'm, if my kid and I want to, and I want to go out and, uh, and I'm in high school and I want to stay out until one o'clock in the morning and my parents say, no, you have to be back home by 11. Like, well, what about Justin? His mom lets him stay out until one or two and she doesn't care. What about him? Why can't I do it? And again, it's not arguing about whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. It's saying, well, what about these other people that do it? Yeah, again. Um, yeah, but you all, you see that a lot in the political sphere. Well, uh, give me an example of the political sphere because that's not where my where my mind initially went at all. Um, anytime, anytime that you've seen Trump get criticized or whatever, mm -hmm. he he oftentimes will say, "Well, what about the Democrats when they do this? Why why aren't we talking about that?" Okay, yeah, fair enough. All right. Um, Okay. Do you have any more? Yeah, I got a, I got a few more. Um, this one I like it just because the Latin the the, the Latin phrase for it's really fun to say. Um, it's called begging the question, but I always like calling it petitio principii because it sounds fun. <laughs> the T petitio. So like petition, but take off the end. Petitio oh. principii. Principii. Okay. And so that is basically 
when you use your conclusion as one of the premises in your argument to prove your conclusion. Um, you see this very often in religion where, well, God says that we should do this. Well, why should we do this? Because God says so. So it's circular. Yeah. Okay. Give me a better example on this one. I'm not, I'm not, I see it there, but I need somebody else to make it sink in. I'm trying to think about, like, this one's a little bit harder to come up with an example off the top of my head that's original. Um, but it would be, I'm trying to think about, like, in the, term, in, in the world of education, I think you see it a good bit. Um, uh, come back to me on this one. <laughs> I'm not going to remember this moving forward. I, I will. No, um, uh... I, I got, like, two more. Okay. Um, gambler's fallacy is another really good one. So let's say we're 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 flipping coins, and I flipped the coin four. Is is a really good one because I think naturally your brain follows this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if we're if I if we're playing a game, whoever calls the coin flip right wins a dollar. Mm -hmm. And so we've just flipped the coin, and it's come up tails four times in a row. And so you're like, hey, I want to put five. Like, can we bet five dollars on this one? I'm betting five dollars on heads this time because it couldn't possibly go tails again right but each individual flip is 50 50 previous results don't have any effect whatsoever because obviously you could have just as compelling of an argument that it's going to be tails again because you're on a, you're on a roll well that's that's also the gambler's fallacy yeah. the idea of being on a roll yeah is it, it exactly when some of the odds of something are 50 50 right and you see this a lot like um actually in casinos if you ever played roulette they'll have a board up that'll show the last 20 or 30 results. It'll show red, black, and the number or whatever. And yeah. people will look at that to decide where they want to place their, place their bet next. So if it's been black five times in a row, everyone's going to be putting money on red or whatever, because there's no way it could be six times in a row black, but like the, the odds are the same. And uh, the thing is you can actually, and it's, it's basically misconstruing how probability works because if you were to say, what are the odds that black comes up six times in a row? Well, that's going to be one out of 64. Mm -hmm. But when you get to five times in a row black, which is one out of 32, the odds that it comes up black again are not one out of 64. The odds are 50-50. It's only when you aggregate all those together and you have to basically bet on the basket of results that you can use that probability. But when you get to that individual event, the probability is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, and that's yeah. I mean, there's there's no way there, you know critical thing, and there's no way around your odds being fifty fifty. Yeah. Know. All right. Last one. Okay. Um, is false dichotomy, which on the uh, the chart is black or white, but I like false dichotomy wow. better. Which is yeah. it's either this or that, and usually it'll be picking between one somewhat palatable option and one really unpalatable option and say, Hey, look, we can either have this or we can have that. And yeah. you're ignoring that there are other options available. And you're trying to reduce an argument down to a choice between two things. And you try and make the choice as easy as possible that people end up on your side. Yeah. When there may be other options available, but, but say there's two options, this is it. One of them sucks. So obviously here's a clear choice. Um, when there may very well be other options. Um, yeah, an easy example would be like, we're picking a restaurant to go out to eat and I don't eat seafood. So you'd be like, all right, there's this great sushi place that I want to go to. I'm like, I don't really want to go to sushi. Well, it's like, and then you say, well, it's either sushi or we go to McDonald's. I'm like, well, no, there's other restaurants. 
yeah, I mean, I think you're probably more willing to take McDonald's. Oh, I totally would. Um, all right. Uh, all right. So I have false cause uh, on my next one on the, on the list here. Presuming a real or perceived relationship between things means that one is the cause of the other. Um, are you pull, why do you pull up the email in a second? I, I, I've got the chart up. All right, cool. So, so presuming, presuming uh, that there's a real or perceived relationship between two things, one is causing the other. Um, and, you know, everybody knows that just because two things may be, not everything is related. Um, I don't know. Can you, can you, can you elaborate on that? I think that was a false cause. Yeah. Or maybe come up with a, a good example. Um, especially we could come up with the political realm. Um, so, environmental realm. Um, this is all right. So the biggest, I, I would say, the biggest area that you see this is actually in conspiracy theories. Okay, yeah, there you go. So because know. you can look yeah, at an event, and you've got this isolated event that happened, and there's probably a whole bunch of causes as as, as to why it happened. But let's say this thing happened twice, right? And both times, something other random happened to happen those two times. You say, well, that happened, therefore this. So um, you also see it a lot in sports, actually, where like superstitions, false cause is, is basically superstitions are false cause. So yeah. what yeah. I, I every time that I've worn my 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 worn out Yankees hat, the Yankees won. Therefore, when I wear this Yankees hat, the Yankees will win. No, not a single person on the Yankees knows that I even own that hat. It's completely unrelated. But it's so that's that. But you also see it with conspiracies where something happened and they draw a conclusion. And they say, "Well, this must have caused it," and it's super easy to do because all you need is two things that happen, and you just say, "Well, now they're related. Now I've created. Now I've committed false cause." Okay. Um, yeah, I think superstition is probably the easiest way to think about it. Let's hit loaded question, um, and that's asking a question uh, that has an assumption built into it which is obviously um okay so I, I got i've got one assumption built into it that is unlikely to be true but either way yeah. it's a loaded question assumption involved justin when did you stop beating your girlfriend <laughs> uh exactly and that's a, a question that never never hit anyone before but the question itself you're really painting in bad shape Eugene. um but the question itself has an implied answer. Right. The, it's the implication is that you've been beating your girlfriend at some point and you stopped, whereas you've never done it. But the question says yeah. you have. Exactly. Um, and then we have bandwagon, which you called ad... Ad populum. Ad populum. Yeah. Okay. And then I feel like there's got to be a better way to describe this. Begging the question, a circular argument which the conclusion is included in the premise. Okay, so that was the one that you gave that on, on God, right? Um, yeah, so I, I, I most often think about it when, when people are making arguments based on religion, where, um, for example, like, thou shalt not steal. And so, well, why shouldn't we steal? Well, because God says so. Well, wh who, where, wh like, um, well, 
How do we know that God exists? Because how do we know that God exists? Because because I read the Bible. Um, well, how do we know that the Bible is true? Because God wrote it. But the the Bible says that God exists, and God wrote the Bible. So it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's a circular argument. Yeah, it, I I think I need to break this down a little bit more because um, for those who, well, hold on. So in the world of argument, it's conclusions have to exist separate from the premises. The premises are the set of facts or circumstances that you use to build your case to get to a conclusion. Mm -hmm. And in order to have a proper argument or a proper debate, first of all, both parties have to agree on what the premises are. If you can't agree on the premises, then you don't have an argument because your argument now has to go back a step because now we need to argue about how we get the premises set. And so you have to basically back up when you've got another set of premises. Well, anyone, so, anyone who's good at arguing understands that you have to take small steps together. And if you're not, if you're not making those steps together, because you know, whatever you're laying down just doesn't have any foundation. To right. And, well, and that's what I'm talking about in terms of agreeing to the premises is we're taking small steps together of like, okay, can you agree on this? Okay, cool. Can you agree on this? Right. So that, that, those are your premises. Yeah. Um, and then the conclusion is something that you're going to draw out of those premises. So you can't have the conclusion in the premises of like God exists is the, is the conclusion that I'm trying to reach. And if I use the premises are the Bible which the Bible tells us that God exists. Well, no, because the conclusion is in the premises because the Bible says that God exists. That's not something that supports the conclusion. That is the conclusion. Okay, so let's, let's hit uh, the next one. Uh, appeal to authority, using the opinion or position of an authority figure um, in place of an actual argument. Uh, let's see. You see this a lot of times when someone like when someone has a position of authority or is or is an expert in one field but is talking about something outside of their field. Um, exactly. You can have someone who's really really intelligent, but if it's not something that they have researched or or worked on, they can be very wrong. Yeah, very much so. A lot of that, and and again, that's your your scientists who are religious, you know, or, uh, you know, your doctors. Uh, like, I, I, here's, for some reason, this is the, uh, the, here's something that comes to mind is about two months ago, um, there was a case of a guy who worked for the New Yorker, the, the magazine. They were doing a Zoom call. And during the Zoom call, he start he like exposes himself on the camera and i think he might have been like masturbating while he was on the call and mm -hmm. so the new yorker fired him which yeah makes sense mm -hmm. um and then shortly afterwards malcolm gladwell came out and and kind of criticized the decision now malcolm gladwell is an expert in a lot of things and he's a smart guy mm -hmm. um and he talked about how he thought that it was kind of a rush to judgment and firing this guy and talked about how like society punishes masturbation and all this other stuff. Whereas, and so uh, thankfully not too many people bought into this. Bible is an authority in many things. But not on this. And also, yeah. And also he, this was also kind of an equivocation 
um, thing, which is another one of the fallacies, actually, which is using kind of um, unclear terms so that way you can kind of pick and choose their meaning as the argument evolves. And so Malcolm Gladwell basically said, well, like, you know what? This society is a little bit puritanical about the way that we treat masturbation or whatever. Um, and it's a little bit unfair to fire this guy over masturbating, N ignoring the fact that like this was done on a Zoom call in a professional environment, not like because of what he was doing in private and somebody just happened to hear about it. Exactly. But yeah. if you look in a, a pupil authority and say, well, Malcolm Gladwell says they sh that they shouldn't have fired him. He's an authority. He's got background in psychology and all this other stuff. Well, sure, but he's wrong here. Uh, all right. So just if you guys have joined us recently on live, um, we're talking about logical fallacies or false logic, not about masturbation. Um, maybe a little bit about masturbation, but that's just kind of one of the examples James has chosen to use. Um, but this, if you're not really into this stuff, um, or if you're probably a bad arguer, uh, or not someone who invokes a lot of logic or critical thinking, this may not be interesting to you. But if you're interested in learning more, stay tuned. We're going to keep hitting it. I'm going to run through and uh, say hi to some people and uh, read through some comments. Mostly read through the comments. We got Lay saying, I need a drink. Um, yes, you do, Sarah. Yes, I have that in my job as an educator. We got a lot of, we got a lot of joints here on TikTok. But uh, a lot of people popping out, I think, because it's probably pretty boring. It's not something you're interested in. Um, you know, TikTok was also where we got the guy's got this entire logical fallacy uh, poster on the wall in his office. Um, all right. We have uh, Eugenia in Argentina drinking red wine and doing your best to keep up with our English. Eugenia, thank you for joining us. Um, glad you drink a red wine. I was going to grab some white wine. I, I couldn't find any. Uh, how do you think things are going to be next week? We can maybe get into that in there. Uh, Debbie says hello. Let's see, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Uh, we got Ratch the Rampage. Uh, hi, Wanda. M is asking what the topic is tonight. We got Ashley Demers here. We got it's a bunch of we got a, a bunch of people here. Ashley Demers from Tamarack High School. Tamarack High School. Yeah. So, wow. uh, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a bunch of people that have kind of popped in. And, and popped out. But it's, it's kind of nice to, to see who's on. Um, so thank you guys for joining us. Again, this is kind of a dorky topic. It's a little dry if you're not into it. But I think if you can recognize, so we're just bringing these to your attention, these, these, this false logic. And I think in the future, if you listen to kind of these different cases of false logic, it may help you recognize when someone in the future is using false logic. And I'll tell you in a really fucked up way, I recognize myself when I'm using false logic. And then I just kind of, and I, you know, and a lot of times I just double down on it because a lot of people, you know, it appeals to a lot of people. It, in, you know, and it, I guess it's probably, it's maybe the easy, the easy way out in a lot of cases, but, um, but, you know, listen to the stuff, learn it, so nobody gets over on you. And then challenge someone when, when they use this false logic on you so you can have a more in-depth conversation and you can get to really what, what is the root for the reason people are saying these things. Um, and it's going to help you have better conversations. It's going to help you understand people better. And it's going to help build better relationships. And again, our political 
you know, the political landscape right now and the political relations are a disaster. And a lot of it is because of all these logical fallacies you hear in every single debate. A lot, you know, uh, we're just allowing them to happen. Nobody's asking questions. And, and the, the dumbest people are being convinced one way or the other. If um, I were teaching a philosophy class and we were doing um, informal fallacies or whatever, mm-hmm. I would probably have like homework assignments maybe once a month or whatever, where they'd have to watch a political debate and pull out three or four different examples from each debate. Like, watch the entire debate, give me three or four examples and explain why. I think that's brilliant. Uh, I'm gonna hit the next one, uh, the middle here of the logical fallacies chart. The appeal to nature, make the argument that because something's natural, uh, it must be valid or okay to do. And you buy organic beet? Well, let's go back to your Malcolm Gladwell argument. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I got it. all right. <laughs> yeah, masturbation should be allowed because it's a natural thing. Except you're ignoring the fact that it was on camera in front in front of the company. But uh, but yeah, I just I yeah, see, there's really oh, very few fields where that's okay or encouraged. I I, I see <laughs> yeah exactly. But that's, I, I see that oftentimes used when people are using drugs. They're like, this is all natural, man. The pots. Yeah, exactly. However. It's, you know, so is tobacco. Um, you know, smoking anything and inhaling it. Um, so is alcohol, actually. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of things that are naturally occurring that just because it's from nature doesn't make it good for you. There's a ton of food that has a lot of sugar in it. Uh, foods with a high glycemic index, full of sugar. The most common sugar that we consume fructose. comes from fruit. Yep. Um, you know, so, you know, it, Eating grapes is probably better for you than eating um, a fucking Twinkie. But at the end of the day, sugar is sugar. So, you know, and calories are calories. It's just how you, you know, uh, how you burn them and how many you consume and, 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 you know. Yeah. And you can also look at kind of the inverse of nature where like uh, where anything that is synthetic or artificially created must be bad for you. Yeah, just because, yeah, and there's your, and that's a very good argument because, um, you know, Nicole, who joined us in the previous podcast, she was bashing GMO food. Uh, she, she was kind of resharing a topic. And I just, I said, I don't know if she, I don't check my messages often, but, she, but um, I was just like, remind me again, why, why is GMO bad? And uh, I, 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 we didn't start that, we didn't open that can of worms. But, Thankfully, we would have gone way off track. <laughs> but but yeah, G, you know, GMO isn't something that really worries me, just because I, you know I think that's well. I think it's one of those ones where you have to look at it in more detail. Where there might be certain GMO foods that are worrying, there might be some that are perfectly safe. But saying all of them are bad because it's not natural is fallacious. Just the same thing if everything is good because it is natural, like you, you can't. You can't, it's, yeah, you can't be overly broad. Yeah. Um, that kind of brings us to the next one, which is composition and division, which is somewhat related. I'll let you read that, go for that one. Composition and division basically means if you've got something that's true of a part, it has to be true of the entire thing. And then division is the opposite, where if it's true of the entire thing, then it has to be true of a part. Well, and that's why the appeal to nature doesn't work. Because just because one thing in nature may be good for you 
doesn't mean everything that's natural. Yeah, that's why I said it kind of leads in naturally. I, I, I would use an example from government where if you work, it, let's say you've got a buddy that works for, for government. And or let, let's say you know somebody who works for government who's just dumb. And you say, oh, I mean, that person who works in government is like, I, I've seen bricks that are more intelligent. Therefore, everybody in government must be dumb. Well, what's true of a part isn't true of the whole. Yeah. And you could also look at someone who works for government and be like, all right, so I mean, government is just incompetent and screws up everything and is inefficient or whatever. So anybody that works for government must be lazy and incompetent too. Well, yeah. no, not necessarily. You got to dig a little deeper and get a little more specific. Um, yeah. And so that's my example on, on composition division. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, but like all cops are pigs. Well, no. Yes, and again, that goes back to logic. Just because some cops are pigs doesn't mean all cops are pigs. And obviously across the spectrum of different careers. Anecdotal, using personal experience or an isolated example instead of a valid argument, especially to dismiss statistics. You see this in politics all the time. Yeah. How yeah. many times do the politicians say, I had this constituent call me and they told me about, I mean, Trump does it all the time. I had this person call me up and tell me that this happened and I've had it the best year ever or whatever. Well, that okay. That's one person. That's one story. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it doesn't, it's, uh, there's many, many, you know, there, it's, there's a very small fraction. Um, there's the example they're giving on a chart is Jason said, uh, his grandfather smoked 30 cigarettes a day and lived to 97. Therefore, you know, cigarettes probably aren't causing, causing cancer. Um, I got one more that's not on here, but I feel like, especially in our circumstances right now, really needs to be put out there. All right. Good. Argument by repetition. Okay. Um, and, and that's just what wearing, wearing people down. And when you're talking, I'm guessing you're talking about voter fraud. I am. <laughs> okay. Where if you repeat something enough, you can start to convince people that it's true because they hear it all the time. But that doesn't mean that it's true. It just means you've said it a lot. Yeah, exactly. Very true. Um, you want to hit the next one? Appeal to emotion? Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's going to be just trying to manipulate someone into feeling a certain way to get them to either agree or disagree with a conclusion, whether or not the whether or not the conclusion is actually right. Um, and so I, I think an easy example here would be the death penalty, where you could, if I were to argue, uh, I would I'm, I'm going to argue against the death penalty and say that I don't think it's right for the government to be killing people. And then the argument that like an appeal to emotion against me would be, well, think about how the victims must feel to not have like their, the, the person that murdered their loved one meet justice. That's an appeal to emotion of the emotion for vengeance. Yeah. But that's not actually talking about whether or not death penalty is a good idea. That's an emotional response to the death penalty. Yeah. Um. I think that's, yeah, it's just appealing to emotion and, and circumnavigating logic. Uh, did you say two quoque? Is that two quoque. Yeah, that's going to be, well, you're saying that we should do this, but you yourself don't always do it. So why should we listen? Well, why should we, why should we always do something if you don't always do it? Um, 
And fair enough. And then we got burden of proof, saying the burden of proof lies in the person making the claim, uh, not in the person making the claim, but in the person that's basically being accused. Um, and uh, I mean, I think that's kind of how our court system works, right? Mm, this one's a little bit harder to, to kind of give an example. I don't really like the example that they have. On, well, the example that they have on there, I feel is good, but it doesn't really capture the essence of what's going on. Yeah. What do you mean? Like, in well, so I, here, instead of using their definition, I would say it's making a claim that is difficult or impossible to prove or disprove, specifically disprove. Because someone can't, yeah. Yeah, because you can't prove me wrong, it must therefore be right. And that's not how it works. So yeah. I could say, I could say, aliens are watching us right now. And you'd say, well, I don't see any evidence of that. Like, well, prove me wrong. <laughs> prove me, prove to me that area, aliens aren't watching us right now. All right. You want, you want to hit this, Catherine? I actually don't know this one. Oh, this one, uh, this is kind of uh, shifting the goalposts, is I think a better way of describing it. Is that um, is that this one? Or was that, I thought there was another one that, that covered uh, shifting the goal, a special pleading? Special pleading, well, all right, so the no true Scotsman one, the, the classic example is like, no true, no true Scotsman would pour half and half in their coffee, they drink it black. Well, my, my grandfather, is from Scotland and he drinks his coffee with half and half. And you say, yeah, well, no true Scotsman would. <laughs> that's, that's the basic idea of it is saying, well, that example doesn't work because they're not a pure example of this. Okay, but, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a general specific where you're trying to make a general claim. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to specific, you say, well, no, that doesn't fit the general or whatever. It's, I don't, it's not a commonly used one, but I think it's kind of, I think you can lump it in with moving the goalposts. Yeah, yeah. But, but actually, you know what? You see this a lot in politics, too. Um, more on the Republican side, but also the Democratic side, which is, well, no Republican would ever support raising taxes on their constituents. Well, Mitt Romney raised taxes on his constituents in Massachusetts through health care. Well, he's not a true Republican. A true Repo yeah, exactly. Fair enough. Um, the Texas sharpshooter. Cherry picking data clusters to suit an argument or finding a pattern to fit a presumption. Yeah, so that's going to be moral, like kind of, I, I call that like either cherry or nut picking, where cherry picking is you're going to find only the data that supports your claim and ignore all the other data, whether or not it's all, you, if you've got a hundred examples and three support you, then you can be like, I'm going to pick these three and then maybe one of the other ones. Whereas it's really 97 to three, but you make it look like it's three to one. And then nut picking is basically the exact opposite, but picking the, the, the only cases that disprove something. Mm. So again, if it's 97, 97 times out of a hundred, it works and three times it fails. I'd be like, all right, yeah, like here, three times it failed and like here five times it works. So it's not as good as they say, but I'm ignoring the other 92 times. And this is where sometimes nut picking be okay because let's say you're, let's say there's a medicine and 97% of the times it makes you feel better and 3% of the time you die. Well, okay. maybe those nuts are worth picking because you say like the benefit of the medicine is a little bit 
is not outweighed by the fact that there's a 3% risk that you could die. And I think about it whenever I listen to those ads for prescription drugs or whatever, where it'd be like, you ever wake up tired in the morning? You're like, okay. Um, and, and then at the end of like side effects may include nausea, diarrhea, seizures, internal bleeding, and fatigue. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but they, they get, I think you, you got to up that a little bit, like erectile dysfunction, paralysis. Yeah. Uh, like and then you're like eh, all right yeah, exactly. I, I love the ones where like where they list one of the side effects as like one of the things that they're actually trying to cure so like do you ever wake up tired in the morning and side effects may include morning fatigue <laughs> mm. all right we got five left uh let's try to speed through these i don't know how exactly we're doing for timing um we're coming up in the hour mark so we like to wrap it at the hour um all right you want to hit the, the next one fallacy fallacy i i haven't really heard of this one before but i think it's basically going to try and exaggerate any flaws in an argument to make it seem like the argument is weaker than it actually is just because your argument isn't perfect doesn't mean that it isn't strong and so it's it's like if i take a driver's test and i don't know let's say i score uh, any test whatsoever and i score a 97 out of 100 and you'd be like well you must not know what you're talking about because you missed three questions on the test well i still got a 97 that's a pretty good score yeah yeah uh, i think that may, yeah that makes sense personal in incredulity uh that's not a word that i use often um but it's saying that because someone finds something difficult to understand it must not be true um, here's, a, here, here's a good example of that. In the early 1900s, we believed that there was just one galaxy, the Milky Way. Mm -hmm. the, this was the accepted scientific consensus is this is the only galaxy. Here we are. Okay. And then Hubble started doing some work and observed a whole bunch of other galaxies. He's like, look, all those things that we thought were stars, those are galaxies. And um, that was really difficult for people to believe, and some people rejected it entirely. But because now we were already small before, and we're that much smaller. Yeah, it's 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 very difficult to comprehend that there's that much. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, and we could even draw draw this back to like we used to think that the Earth was the center of the universe. Then we found out that it was the sun that was the center of the universe. Then we found out that the sun was just like in this galaxy or whatever. So each one of those steps, people had harder and harder time accepting it, not because it was or wasn't true, but because it was difficult to conceive of us being that small. And uh, I'm pretty sure that that, that uh, gave some problems to Galileo later on in life. Um, yeah, the, the life of uh, astronomers back then was not, was not a good one. Um, you're, fighting, you're, you're fighting religion a lot. Uh, religion and politics are where you see these a lot. Um, ambiguity is the next one. I call this one equivocation. And that's going to be where you use a term that can have multiple meanings. And then you don't specify what type of meaning you're using. And then later on, as you build your case, you use a different meaning of it. So here's an easy example. As you say, man is fundamentally good at heart. Jill is a woman, so she can't be good. Um, I like the example on the chart. I like the, that, fair enough, fair enough. But I like the example on the, on the chart. Um, oh yeah, that's actually a good example. I like it. So when the judge asked the defendant why he hadn't paid his parking fines, 
He said he shouldn't have to pay them because the sign said fine for parking. And he assumed that parking was fine. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is a good one. Um, and, and I think people use that very often when, you know, and the, the counter argument to ambiguity is logic. Uh, so. Well, it's just you have to, this is going back to, you need to define your terms is you need to say, when I say this, like in, in the world of philosophy, very often in the first couple pages of a philosophical paper, or like even in like a philosophy journal for academic philosophy, um, the, the authors will go about and kind of define their terms. And they say, when I use this word, I mean this, not anything else, just this. Yeah. Um, you want to hit the next one? Uh, genetic which is judging something good or bad on the basis of where it comes from or from who it comes from. So this is going to be kind of related to ad hominem a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say, again, politics, where like, if the Democrats come up with a policy proposal, then you're going to say, well, I'm not going to even listen to this policy proposal because the Democrats just have an agenda or the same thing for the Republicans. The Republicans come up with something and it could be a good idea. It could be something that actually helps people, but you say, well, the, all the Republicans have done is just increase the deficit or whatever. So I don't like, I don't want to see anything that they propose for legislation. Um, but you're not actually looking at legislation. You're looking at where did it come from? So I consider that to be really similar to ad hominem. But again, critical thinking. You need to actually see what's on the table rather than look at who served it. And, and um, yeah, I, mean, I consider genetic to be almost the exact same as that. It's, it's, it really sounds like it. Um, all right. And then it's the last one. This is middle ground uh, saying that a compromise or the middle point between the two extremes must be the truth. This is really close to the, the false dichotomy. Um, it's a, it's a spin off of it. I feel. Yes. The false dichotomy is saying you either like chicken wings or you like pizza. Um, so this is kind of the next step from the false dichotomy where what you do is it, like if you're committing a true false dichotomy, it's here's my option, which I think is good. And then here's your option, which is just terrible. So we can only pick these two. The middle ground is here's two terrible options. And my option's also bad, but I'm going to make it sound better by coming up with two worse options and then coming in the middle, whereas the truth isn't in the middle. Well, I mean, it, it could be, but likely, but, but again, it has nothing to do with, with where it falls on, you know, on the... Yeah, but the, yeah, it's going to say, we, we should always find compromise here. And sometimes there just isn't compromise. Be like, I say two plus two is four. And you say, well, I think two plus two is seven. Um, so let's just agree that two plus two is five and a half. Yeah, you know what? I'm on the same page. I think, I think we should, because, you know, otherwise we weren't going to come to an agreement here. That must be the case. Um, yeah, I, I actually see that a lot with, uh, in my accounting work where, <laughs> where, yeah, where I'll come up with an answer. Like, here's your net income. Here's the amount of tax that you owe or whatever. And they're like, well, is there anything that we can do to like change these numbers or whatever? Like, I don't want to pay that much in tax. Like, no, this is your income. Like, well, can't we just, like, change things a little bit so that I owe a little bit less? No. Um, <laughs> fair enough. Let's not bring accounting into this one. Uh, it's just an easy example for me to come up with. No, it definitely is. 
Any uh, anything else you think that we missed? Anybody have any questions about logical fallacies or false logic? Uh, who's watching live? Uh, or, or wants to add an example uh, before we tune out? Because- I'll close on, on on this and just say that when you're when you're listening to people making arguments or whatever, try and be able to pull out the actual conclusion that they're trying to reach and how they're trying to build to it. And if you do that, you'll start to realize all the ways that people kind of just deviate from the path. Um, And I would say next time you listen to a political speech, a political debate, anybody talk whatsoever, try and look for like the straw man, the red herring, and the uh, like the ad hominem and the ad populum. Those are like the four that you'll see the most. Um, but that's good, yeah. Uh, and, if, and if you guys have any examples or whatever, send us some messages in the chat. We'll talk about them on, on the next cast or whatever, because there's always good ones out there. All right, cool. So this has been episode 67 of Sip Talk, a drunken production. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> right, that concludes today's lesson on false logic, logical fallacies. Uh, let me know what you think in the comments. And if you have not already, Please, please, please subscribe, like this video, like this podcast, and uh, if you don't mind so much, share it. Thank you. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.